Hi and welcome to the Humans of Hospitality podcast with Mark Cribb. Now in a change to our normal programming, those of you who are regular listeners will know that every Monday morning I release an episode where I generally have a chat and a deep dive and a conversation with somebody from behind the scenes of hospitality. But I think at the moment with what's going on in the world of hospitality and and although the podcast is really aimed at anybody who is interested in where our food and our drink comes from, uh, one of the key markets and the clues in the title I guess, Humans of Hospitality, a lot of listeners are uh, people who work in this sector so it didn't really feel like at the moment we should be chatting about you know kind of businesses and our strategy and our plan uh, around normal business because most of the hospitality sector has been closed down but I think there'll be a lot of other business people out there um, who are also going through very similar circumstances so although I'm going to slant this towards hospitality I think uh, many business people will be interested. So what I've decided to do for a period of time is to jump on board with either some previous guests that I've had on the show or some new, uh, maybe some of the support groups like uh, UK Hospitality um, or Hospitality Action. And I'm going to have a very coronavirus sort of centric chat about what what's happening with legislation what support is out there? What should we be doing? And I'm very conscious that things are moving really quickly. And I don't want to um, sort of get these out two or three days after I record them. Quite often I record three or four weeks, maybe six weeks in advance. And by then they'll be completely out of date. So I'm going to record them and I'm going to try and release them the same day. Um, I will buy some audio equipment. I can't go to the shops at the moment because we're in lockdown. But I will buy some kit online that will improve the audio of these. So please forgive me at the moment. They're a little bit raw. They're a little bit rough and ready. They're not as well edited as they would normally be because I I can't send them to my uh, guide to process sort of same day. So I'm doing it myself. But I think the key thing is let's get some information out there. We're in the same boat. We're trying to analyse. We're trying to make decisions really quickly. Um, Those in hospitality specifically, we employ over 3 million people across the country. So I hope by having these conversations with with different uh, experienced business leaders in our field that some of you will get some information you need or maybe some reassurance uh, and it will be of interest. So yeah, thank you. Uh, Enjoy the shows and I, I hope they're useful and I'll be trying to get some out, you know, maybe every couple of days for a little while. Today's show is with uh, JD, Jonathan Downey from Street Feast. Um, He's been doing a lot of work uh, behind the scenes with hospitality in the last 10 days or so in particular. And uh, we're going to head over and uh, remotely uh, have a chat. Like I get to say, sorry about the audio, but um, I think you'll get the gist and I hope you find it useful. Uh, Please go to humansofhospitality.co.uk to sign up for our newsletter where at least you'll get an update every time a new show comes out. Thanks so much. Right, JD from Street Feast and London Union, thanks for uh, joining me, really appreciate it. You and I chatted initially, God, probably four or five months ago, I can't remember when, when life felt relatively normal, but for those who haven't listened or don't know you, can you just explain uh, who you are and what your business is, please, JD? Oh, I've forgotten what my business is, it seems like such a long time ago now. What was it? We could all talk in past tense almost. <laughs> um, well, yeah, my main business is Street Feast. We run the uh, street food night markets in East and South East London. So venues like Armour in Shoreditch and Giant Robot in Canary Wharf, Model Market in Lewisham and Hawker House, which is now events only space in um, Canada Water. I've been doing that for about eight years now. And before that, lots of bars, restaurants, clubs, hotel, all sorts of things. Um, and before that, I was a corporate lawyer. And that's relevant because I used to specialise in insolvency law and restructuring. And I think that's going to become important, unfortunately, for too many of our 
colleagues and competitors, our friends in the industry uh, over the next few months. Um, but hopefully we'll be hearing um, from the government that we need to be less concerned about personal liability and whether we're doing the right thing under the Insolvency Act 1986 and more concerned about protecting our employees, preserving our businesses and getting ourselves ready to try and bounce back if we ever get through this. Yeah, perfect. And in fact, you and I spoke on the phone, gosh, I don't know, maybe 10, 14 days ago, because you put something out on Twitter quite early on as this was unfolding, talking about, you know, businesses stop spending money. And I phoned you about, you know, seeing what was coming about insolvency and administration and how that worked. But many people were watching this sort of pan out in slow motion globally and could see it sort of encroaching into the UK. Was there a particular point or trigger point when you thought, right, this shit is about to get serious and this is what I'm going to do in my business and I'm going to start sharing this online? Do you remember what that trigger was? I don't know. I mean, just I just kind of naturally started tweeting a few things and then also sharing them with, you know, perhaps in more brutal detail with a few friends on WhatsApp who are in the industry. Um, I think I very one of the things I'm pretty good at or one of the, you know, one of my... Um, one of the key elements of what I do is I can I think I can look ahead and see how things might pan out and know how to navigate that and to bring people along and what's important along the way. And that's, you know, I'm not especially good. You know, I, if, you, if you look at, say, for instance, Dynarama, I could walk into that empty car park, imagine what it would look like, who we need to get on board to build it, who we need, what we need to do to open it how we need to fill it and all of that. I'm pretty good at that. I'm not especially good at running it once it's open, but that's kind of like the bit I do. And I applied that to what was happening with, you know, the virus and how it was hitting businesses and especially our revenue streams, our sales, and where that was going to end up. I could see it precipitating and collapsing very quickly. And, I, you know, more than that, I knew what we needed to be doing immediately and in the short term, to kind of like respond to that. And I just kind of, you just naturally share your feelings or your instincts or your experience, you know, online these days on Twitter as I was doing it or with my mates via and colleagues via WhatsApp. And I got so tired of kind of like copy and pasting, copying and pasting. I thought, you know, sod this, just put it all in one group. So I created a new WhatsApp group. I'm really resistant to doing that because so many people in groups they don't want to be in. The group I set up is broadcast only, so no one else can chip in with message after message after message because it just infuriates people and people leave. And I just wanted to post stuff on there that I thought was useful, you know, timely and uh, correct. You know, there's a lot of nonsense posted. Apolitical, that was very important to me as well. And I didn't want to fill it with too many gags and memes, you know. I just wanted it to be a really sort of valuable, immediate, timely resource for people in the same or similar position to me. And it's expanded now to about two and a half thousand people. And they're all business, hospitality business owners or senior operators. Plus, we've got some, you know, industry journalists on there, as well as some, you know, mainstream press from the FT and the Times, um, you know, and the BBC and people like that, Channel 4, uh, and as well as suppliers and lawyers and everybody else. And they all feed back to me all the time. And I'm kind of distilling the important stuff and then passing it back to everybody. Yeah, hats off to you because, I mean, God, uh, when you first sort of put it out and went, right, yeah, I don't just want to copy and paste and there were just a few people, did you have any idea, A, how big it was going to get and then B, how much of your life it was going to take up because you're sending messages sometimes at half six in the morning and ten at night. Is this 
it has become a full-time job. It has become a tough full-time job. And it's meant that I've not been working on my own business all during this very difficult time, you know. Um, and I need to do something about that because I'm letting my own people down and I feel very guilty about that. I'm going to try and do something about that this afternoon when I've stopped talking to you, Mark. Yeah. Sorry for adding to, uh, to yeah. that, Jason. Uh, I'm hoping this will save you some time because in, you can have a little rant and tell people to please stop asking you stupid questions in a minute. So. Yeah, well, you know, I've done it a couple of times on the group. It never makes any difference. It's really weird. People really need, the first thing people need to do is to fucking help themselves, you know, make the, do their own research. Somebody asked me for something the other day and I just replied, Google coronavirus uh, employment yeah. scheme. You know, don't so, ask me to send you the link. I'm not your... PM, your, your parents. Yeah. How many people are you getting? I mean, are you talking thousands of messages a day? How much? How many are you getting? Uh, hundreds. Yeah. I mean, you know, five hundred maybe. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Right, and, well. and, and four hundred of them I don't need. I really <laughs> four hundred of them, and I'm get the hundred I do get are fantastic. Yeah. You know, and, and there's a few people in particular that are really helping out, and um, I, you know, I don't want to name them all now because I'll forget a few, but I'll name them all at some point. Um, and it's just a, it's just like a group effort, but. Um, Unfortunately, I have to be doing a lot of the tip-tap typing and uh, the forwarding and the copying and all that still. Uh, and I'm not sure there's any other way to do it. But for the time being, it's all right. And I'm going to carry on at least for one more week this week. We're getting a lot of new legislation, some extraordinary measures from government. We need to see more detail on implementation and scope and effect and all that. And then by the end of this week, I'll know where we are. We will all know where we are in terms of financial support and the likelihood of getting through this and for how long. Um, and then after that, I think what will start is, and it's already started, there'll be a massive surge of like volunteer and support and help. And, you know, how can we make things better? I'm on furlough, but what can I do? You know, there's going to be a, millions of people getting paid 80% of their salary up to two and a half thousand pounds a week. Um, we, you know, a lot of them stuck at home. We could make a contribution somehow. And I think that's, we're going to see a massive surge of support that way. And that's going to be very helpful. Um, yeah, I think, right. Yeah. I think we've got, you know, well, yeah, over, over a million, maybe up to 3 million people in hospitality sat there who want to help. And I, and I felt the same. I thought the first thing was almost running in parallel was, can we save the business and can we save as many team members as possible? And I think we're about to flip to, right. What can we actually do to, uh, to help can i just ask so very quickly i think it was you presumably that came up with these sort of six things and i guess lots of other people were, were asking for similar stuff but it was these six things that we needed action on from the government some of them were fairly uh, obvious and actually you know pretty quick to come out like business rates and, and time to pay um some of them were a little bit more complicated and it took you a bit more time to get people i guess with your uh, lawyer background so uh, this kind of uh, what do you call forfeiture moratorium can you just explain because that's one of the biggest impact things can you explain yeah, yeah, that yeah i don't think any of it was obvious mark i think um it was there was a series of measures and, uh, and the key thing was everybody had to be involved to some extent or do a little bit or share some of the pain mm. so for instance the business rates holiday you know local authorities are sharing pain on that but that was a really important um, uh, concession uh, from the Chancellor. We were asking initially for three months. You know, uh, that's, I say we, that was, that's uh, UK Hospitality, Kate Nichols and me. We were pushing on three months initially. And then we thought, you know, we could get six months here. Six months would make such a difference. And then w we started pushing on that. And then all of a sudden the Chancellor announced 12 months, which is fantastic. 
you know. But it's also, in an emergency situation like this, an indication of how long this might go on for. You know, this is not just going to be until June and then we'll be back to normal. It's going to be a lot worse than that. I think we were pushing for a, a massive um, fund, a government fund that that, com- that businesses could borrow from. And we got that incredible announcement on the Tuesday that, uh, a week ago uh, when we're recording this of, of 330 billion, which was very reassuring. But we found out since that that's ab- absolutely meaningless. Uh, we estimate that 90%, 5% of uh, businesses don't qualify. Now we've seen the detail. So that's mm. a sh- that's no use. And that makes the business rates holiday uh, announcement much more important. We were then pushing, pushing, pushing for something on employees. And we got this job retention scheme. We were asking for 75%. We thought we'd get 60%. We ended up getting 80%, uh, again, which is great. And I think you know, boring down into the detail of that. Now it looks like there's a lot of questions that are still unanswered. There's a lot of assumptions I've made and and, and statements I've made about how they're likely to uh, interpret certain things or uh, apply certain things. But I think that job retention scheme is absolutely a phenomenal measure and is going to make an enormous difference to millions of people and is the single biggest thing they've probably done, uh, you know, this country's ever done in terms of state handout. I, you know, I don't know the value of it, in, or you know, and we don't know when it will end, but it's just enormous. And then, uh, what was the other one I got? I can't remember. I don't have my list in front. Yeah. But, but, uh, that was four. That was numbers three and four. Is that? Sorry, just let me have a quick look at my list. Yeah, one was the business rates holiday. Two was time to pay for VAT. Oh, you made it so, to the end. You were yeah. still paying the so, VAT. So that's really important. Time to pay is really important. And HMRC just needs to back off business and businesses need to not pay their PAYE and their VAT that's due at the moment. And then since then, since that uh, that sort of like uh, advice from us, um, the Chancellor's given us a VAT holiday, but we're still expected to pay PAYE. Um, And we'll definitely have to pay PAYE in relation to the furlough monies we receive, the um, job retention scheme cash. But yeah, but so all that was happening and you know a mixture of fantastic with the um business rates holiday very disappointing with the loan guarantee fund and amazing but we need more detail and speed on the job retention scheme but the one thing that had been in my mind from you know almost the first thoughts on this was march quarter day and the, the billion pounds plus that the hospitality sector rent bill equals you know which is payable tomorrow wednesday so I, for a long time, I've been banging, 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 banging away on that and, and kind of found it very difficult. It, it, it took a while for anyone to realise how important that was and also how easy it would be for government to bring that into play because it's not going to cost government anything. It's going to cost landlords money. It, yeah. it, in fact, it's not really going to cost landlords anything. It's just going to defer that money to a later date. So there's nobody really out of pocket. It's just a cash flow thing for landlords. So it was a really easy thing to do. And I, I kind of got a little bit pissed off last week that I didn't announce it early. It's almost like they were toying with us. And I was saying to people, I'm 80, 90% certain we're going to get this. I was convinced we get it because, A, it's so easy to do. B, it doesn't cost the, the government money. And then C, all of a sudden, they'd done it in New York. And yeah. uh, and so I was expecting, and I was kind of very confident, and then I kind of started to be a little uncertain we'd get it. But now we've got it. That takes a massive... Uh, cash flow pressure off a lot of businesses. My business alone, for instance, tomorrow I would have had to pay rent of over three hundred thousand pounds. You know, now we've not, you know, we've got money in the bank to 
pay employees between now and the end of April when we get the uh, furlough money back. But £300,000 is a massive amount of money. In fact, that is more than three months' payroll for me. So when you're looking at paying £300,000 to landlords who don't really need the money, massive institutions, or paying your employees for three months, it's just a no contest. You know? Right. And, and although it was it was difficult, I guess maybe because of the wording, because we were having the same problem. Everybody understood the need to pay uh, employees, and everybody understood the sort of the, the PAYE VAT kind of extension. But it was hard to get people to understand it. Just tell us so if if you hadn't had that kind of three month sort of ceasefire holiday, as you you put it, am I right in saying that landlords could almost have come in twenty four hours later and changed the lock and yeah. use your uh, depending on what your lease says, but at many venues, yes. And in, in my leases, for instance, it, well, I think one is 14 days and the others are 28 days. You've kind of got 14 days to cough up, otherwise we change the locks. And that will happen. It will happen, especially in London, where real estate is very valuable. And especially where you've got a private landlord who just wants to take back the pub or wants to take back the million-pound fit-out restaurant, land bank it for a few weeks or months or however long this takes, and then reopen it as the new owner, you know, with a million-pound restaurant in his uh, is the new owner of. And you could be paying £50,000 a year rent or £50,000 a quarter rent on a site like that, and all of a sudden the landlord owns it, you know? Um, as it stands at the moment, that change in legislation is, is for three months. They cannot do that, and it's kind of saying, right, line in the sand, talk to each other, negotiate, come up with a plan. Is that right? Correct. And I wanted six months so the June quarter rent could be postponed as well. And I think we might get that. It depends what happens over the next few weeks and how much this virus hits us. But I, I think we'll get that. What you get a lot of the time with emergency legislation is we're just going to do it for three months because they want you to think it's all going to be sorted back to normal by then. They don't want to scare you like they did with the business rates thing that it's going to be 12 months. Yeah, <laughs> so true. I think we'll get another three months, but I'm not 80 90% on that. I'm sort of like 60% on it. And with the uncertainty around how... Um you know, hospitality and specific businesses that kind of come out of this. Do you think that if you listen, people should be negotiating, you know, rent decreases? Or, you know? Oh, yeah, I think so. Now, so the moratorium was just the ceasefire to agree the peace. So, so that the pressure is off tenants, so that tenants have got leverage and that you can now go to your landlords over the next three, hopefully six months, and renegotiate or negotiate deals going forward. Because, look... A lot of us could be closed or not worth opening. We could be forced to be closed or it won't be worth opening for three, six months, maybe to the end of the year. It's going to be, it depends how things happen, but people need to be thinking like that. Actual cash being given to government. And one way they could do that is it could let us off the VAT. Yeah. You know? So you, you, you mentioned this, and I want to talk about it a little bit. You said that the loan, the 330 billion that's been put into uh you know, to an extent, government secured or backed loans. You said 95% of people that won't actually qualify for it. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I think, well, um, because it's, well, that's just an estimate, but it's, it's more than 90% of businesses in hospitality won't qualify for one of those loans, I don't think. And, and the, um, they're being, the loans are being made on the basis that you have a viable business. And um, the wording says, imagine if this pandemic hadn't happened, but... Um, Banks aren't going to do that. Banks lend this money to business and then the government backs the bank with a guarantee. The guarantee is, the government guarantee is only 80%. Uh, and if you default on this debt, 
the banks will be covered for 80% and they want the other 20% from the business or the, you know, the director or the owner of the business. That banks are asking for PGs in every case. In some cases, they want PG, personal guarantees. In some cases, they want PGs and debentures, you know, security like a mortgage over your business, over your pub, over your cafe, over your restaurant. This is insane. For a £250,000 loan or a half a million pound loan, they're supposed to have a government-backed guarantee on it, and they're asking for PGs and security. is insane. So the big hurdle is most businesses, because we're insolvent, because we've got no revenue stream, because we don't know when this is ever going to end, and if we'll ever have anything at the end of it, are never going to qualify. No, biz- no bank is in their right mind is going to lend to a business like that. And even if they would and say, okay, we'll lend to you, then the directors of those companies, the, the, the owners of those businesses should not be borrowing on those terms. So it's, to be honest, it's just fucking useless. And well, I've, you know, I've been having the same conversation with people and just looking at my own personal circumstances and telling my team because I'm like, look, you know, we are going to run out of cash incredibly quickly we're a you know tourist business based in a in a seasonal town on the beach and as a result cash flow this time of the year is low we were just about to flip a switch where our revenue goes up you know not 20 percent, but 400 percent as soon as the summer kicks in so we're at our lowest reserves and i'm looking at it and going yeah if i was the bank you know why would i let i'm already quarter of a million in debt if you just look at my deferred uh, vat paye some suppliers that i've not been able to pay you know, to, to, to add to that, this issue around personal guarantee, I've, I've read some stuff that says that they, they're not putting that on your sort of main primary residence. What would you advise, as particularly with your legal background, to people being asked to sign, even if the bank would lend it to you, if they're asked to sign a personal guarantee, what would you say to them? Well, you've got to ask yourself, what are you, what are you borrowing the money for? If you're borrowing the money to pay VAT, you're an idiot. If you're borrowing the money to pay rent, are you really... Do you really need to do that? You're probably not going to be able to pay it back. And you shouldn't be borrowing the money to pay your employees because that's what the government's agreed to do. If there's a cash flow stretch, then you need to stretch out and spread out your payments to your employees so you can get to the end of April when you get the reimbursement. So, I mean, I'm not aware of a situation when, for instance, a small business owner or a medium-sized business owner would need to borrow money. And so I I haven't got an example of when... That might be necessary. I don't know if, you, if you've had anyone contact you about that or, or your own experience. I say my, my own experience is exactly that. I'm looking at it going, well, if I'm already, you know, a quarter of a million pounds in debt, we've got the issue of how do we pay, you know, although I, I want to do all we can to pay our furloughed team. Uh, in reality, uh, we don't have the cash to do that. And that would be the example, I suppose, of trying to borrow the money simply to do it. And I potentially feel a little bit more confident with that, with the government saying they would reimburse it. But yeah, to come out the other side, you look at it and go, well, you know, we'd probably be 350, 400,000 pounds in debt. How do we trade out of that? Uh, I agree, it needs to be a different support mechanism. We even need to agree at some point that we're going to write off some of that VAT and PAYE that that we're in. And and actually our our, our immediate cash injection, and there's some complexities around this furloughed workers, but where they say they'll backdate it till the 1st of March, and we have paid all of our team in full for March, that would be a very easy way if the government don't put up too many barriers. If they pay 50% of that wage bill, at least instantaneously inject some cash into the business. Yeah. I mean, I think, look, people need to understand that these are emergency measures and the government has moved at astonishing speed to bring in some reassurance and some, you know, potential, you know, job saving, business saving uh, measures. And it's, it's a bit like it's a bit similar to like a humanitarian crisis. And the first few hours, the first few days are absolutely essential 
to save lives and you know and 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 then it's about what do we do next and how long is that going to take and how can we you know just settle things down and that's what i think they've gone they've done last week and this week is going to be even busier i imagine or as busy and then from next week onwards i think we'll be looking forward and thinking right now i know what air i stand i've got some breathing space on my rent i don't have to pay vat for a few months i've got no rates i've got no income either and my employees are going to get paid uh, and i'm going to get paid for the well, for what i pay my employees you know in a few weeks and that, that's a that's a much better position to be in than we were on a week ago i think it's incredible really isn't it, it? It, it's 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 absolutely incredible. Well, I think my list of six, you know, that's what we needed to be to get. That's the starting point. I thought. I thought once we get there, then we'll then we'll be, then we can take a look and see what happens next. And I think, you know, and then we've just got to wait and see, and maybe have another chat in a week's time. Or, or uh, I think the government will then be looking at longer term measures beyond these immediate emergency ones, and finding other ways to uh, support businesses and uh, protect jobs and all of that. I think. One I've been looking at today, for instance, is uh, this lend- this insurer of last resort idea that has been uh, uh, passed to me. Uh, I think the guy's name is Richard Griffiths, trying to not credit him. Um, uh, it's something they did in New Zealand after the volcano. Right. And, and I think that could help. One of the things the government's concerned about is giving out cash to the wrong people or too much cash to the wrong people. And the, the potential abuse for these handout systems and these et cetera, you know. Yeah. And so we, that that's one of the reasons, you know, that you don't just get, you know, somebody just doesn't fire £500,000 into your bank account or £50,000 into your bank account. Yeah. And so, but I think this, this insurer of last resort is a really good suggestion and that may help businesses, you know, uh, legitimately claim and and i think the government could back that uh you know to the tune of quarter of a billion or whatever it ends up or five billion or whatever it ends up being you know and what's the, what's this uh, concept jd uh, it's a bit boring but if you and <laughs> um, well i think we all sorry go on yeah it'll be exciting if it gets us out of the shit so i think people will be tuned in more than normal for this sort of stuff okay so in the same way the bank of england is the lender of last resort if you know our high street banks, our commercial banks collapse. Um, the government could back a scheme called insurer of last resort, whereby even though nobody, almost nobody who has been forced to close, whose business has been interrupted by this virus is insured, even though none of us are insured. I think some people might be, or they think they are, but I bet you they're not. Yeah, um, so nobody can claim on their insurance for the, their actual individual loss. For the period we're closed. So say we're all closed for three months, okay? Now, I would put, under normal circumstances, I, because of a flood or because of a fire, I would put in a claim for business interruption. And then, you know, the insurer would come along and they would evaluate my claim and they would decide whether it's legitimate or whether it's, you know, it's a bit top-heavy or, you know, I'm trying it on a bit. And, and they, would, if they would, and insurers are set up to sort of like peer over and pour over uh, claims and then decide and then decide. Yeah, we're going to pay you a million quid for those three months because if it hadn't been for that fire or that flood, you would have made a million pounds profit in, or you know whatever. So that system exists now. What the government could say is 
Despite the fact that businesses aren't insured for business interruption, any, for instance, bar, cafe, restaurant, hotel that has lost money, lost revenue because of this, we will back their claims and we want the insurance industry to process those claims for us. So it would be as if there was an automatic deeming of a provision back into your, retrospectively back into your insurance contract that you were covered and you can claim and your insurance company will process that claim and verify it and, 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 and approve it and then the government will pay it. Mm. Makes a lot of sense. Did you say that they are doing that in New Zealand? I think that's what they did in New Zealand for the volcano. Right. Okay. Yeah, because I don't think anyone was covered for a volcano going off. You know <laughs> yeah, Well, you're right. And, and the myth was sort of going around last week in the news, I think, wasn't it, about you know, people being able to claim on their insurance. And again, you, know, you and I communicated on this earlier, but it was, well, it was a red and it didn't exist. So many stupid fucking LMPs and badly briefed leaders of the opposition, yeah. you know, claiming that the government needs to declare a lockdown because if it's not official, people aren't insured. They weren't insured anyway, you idiots. And that was a red herring and a waste of time and a total distraction. I think a lot of that has stopped now, thank God. And which has yeah, quite quickly. I mean, I was interviewing, you know, one day with BBC and they'd done, a, they'd done a report in the morning that was really basing itself all around that sort of need for it to be official for insurance. And I was like, I was the second half of that. And I said, it's nonsense. It's a red herring. And, and they were having to re-edit it live but you think my goodness you know as journalists surely we can uh, we can work this stuff out kind of faster because that was that was obvious from the start i think yeah we've got to pick our battles and focus on you know where we can make a difference um and also we've got to be asking and expecting government to do what it reasonably can you know we can't be too you know no we can't expect for instance i had a lot of people giving me grief about this forfeiture moratorium saying well it doesn't mean we get any rent free. I was like, yeah, no, you can't expect government to ask private landlords and corporations to, you know, you can't expect them to make those people say, no, you don't have to pay me anymore. That The, the government can't give away other people's money. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it, it's, it's a, it doesn't make sense that you do that. You've got, we've got to think about the way we approach things and what we can realistically achieve in the time we've got and then how we go about that. And then, you know, in some situations that just gives you a bit more time and a better view of how to deal with what's coming next i think what the government have done and, and certainly gave me you know a sort of sense of uh, reassurance but also a kind of like look they, they couldn't really have done more yes we need to work out the details and yes you know there's no point having 330 billion quid's worth of loans available if nobody takes them so, so yes we need to work some stuff out but fundamentally they've stepped up and given you know the SMEs and some of the big bigger businesses this kind of vote of confidence and say look we're doing everything we can now we need you guys you've got your own brains your own intelligence please step up and do your thing and I think we almost have a moral obligation to work together to try and get out of this and not just sit back and go the government's got all the answers and it's going to get me out of it yes I've got one more thing quickly and then I'll let you go because I'm conscious of time and talking about your battles but I, I share your perspective on this. Um, with regard to takeaways and this sort of perception, I suppose some people of, of food businesses almost trying to not necessarily profiteer, but but kind of trade when really we shouldn't be trading because of this social distancing. And there's a lot of uh, restaurants who've decided to do this, getting some grief. But your perspective, and, and I share it in many ways, that actually, you know, we we are part of the ecosystem that needs to feed people. Can you just chat a little bit? Because you've been getting a, some, 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 some annoying feedback, but you've got an opinion on where, where do we stand in trying to do takeaways to people? Yeah, well, those businesses, restaurants that have 
you know, have been forced to close and are now looking at takeaway and, and delivery as a way of continuing to support the national effort to deal with this crisis, as a way of keeping their employees occupied and in full-time pay, and in some cases as a way of generating some revenue to keep businesses going. Those guys are heroes. They should be applauded. We want more people. We want more businesses doing things like that. We saw this week, sorry, on the end of last week and on the weekend, that McDonald's and uh, Nando's and uh, have had to announce that they're closing completely, and they're not even going to do takeaway or delivery, which is a you know which is millions of hot meals lost. And, and Burger King have had to announce the same thing today: five hundred restaurants closing. They can't even do. They're not even going to do drive-through. You know, and that's because of immense pressure that these companies are under to be seen to do the right thing. Yeah. And my position is, fuck being seen to do the right thing. Just do the right thing. And the right thing to do is to continue to prepare hot food for takeaway and delivery because chefs and restaurants operating takeaway and delivery are key workers feeding key workers, and we need to keep that going. And what I think some of the big bigger businesses are seeing is a kind of mutiny by their teams, by their people, They've seen this 80% on furlough and they've been told to stay at home. And, they've, and you know, to be fair to a lot of people, they've got childcare to, to, to contend with and all sorts of other concerns. And they're thinking, fuck going into work to do takeaway and delivery uh, 40 hours a week for 100%. I'm going to stay home on 80%. And I get that. I get that. But, you know, there is a little bit of sacrifice and contribution and effort, and you know, that needs to be made here for people. And we can't just have... You know, there's a, there's also a lot of people just taking advantage here and thinking, I'm, I'm you know, I'm just going to slack off. I'm going to yeah. pretend I, I don't, I feel afraid or I'm not safe, and I'm not going to go into work. And you know, there's a big element of that, and that is disappointing. Uh, and it's meant that for some businesses, I think, for instance, Dushum, they just can't carry on, you know, because they've not got enough people to do the work they wanted to do. And they would be absolutely brilliant. They're an example of an, an amazing operator that could do fantastic work, you know, and even perhaps government-backed. You know, I know that Leon are doing incredible things with their food pouches, um, for instance. I mean, and we just want those businesses, those absolute best businesses in our industry, to respond to this crisis in new and creative and effective ways. And it will make a massive difference. We don't just want everybody downing tools and going home for a few weeks until they get bored and thinking, well, you know, we, we really want to respond. We are a really vital industry. Everyone knows it now. You know, um, <laughs> 3.2 million employees, blah, blah, blah. One in 10 of the employment population, blah, blah. You know, and we've got a really important uh, role to play. And we've got, a, 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 you know, an unfortunate but vital opportunity here to do something really significant. It will make a massive difference to a lot of people. And uh, I, I want to see the message changing on that. We need... 10 Downing Street, we need the Prime Minister, we need somebody in government to say, chefs, you, we love you, you're vital, you are key workers and our other key workers need you doing what you do. And then we've got to get around our chefs and, you know, kitchen teams and delivery squads and, you know, celebrate them. You know, I mean, they're, right. they're not as heroic, perhaps, as doctors and nurses, far from it, but they're, you know, they're on the, they're on the team of heroes and... Uh, 
doctors and nurses at least, can't we, and do our bit. And I think we are going to see a flip to, you know, we've got this army of, uh, of chefs and potentially kitchens being unused. And I've certainly spoken to my local hospital and said, look, I don't want to get in the way and I don't want to be part of the noise. But when we can help, please tell us. And I, I think we'll see that change. And we had a lot of pressure as well to close. We've got a takeaway operation. And I've said to the gang, I've said, look, until public perception changes, let's give it a week. And I think the public will be begging us to open and to help solve the problem. Yeah. But I think so, you know, the team will do so. The complexity around that a little bit is this concept of furloughed workers not being allowed to work. And if we did reopen to offer some of those services, that wouldn't be a money-making initiative. That would be a community support initiative. And uh, yeah, ironing out some of those details behind this complexity of furloughed workers would also be useful. Yes, definitely. Definitely, definitely. We've got an army of people that could help. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure many of them will want to and will. And um, And I think... They especially are outside of the urban centres, I sense, you know, I, I sense in cities where there's perhaps not as much um, kind of like civic connection or, you know, uh, that, you know, we've, we've got less of that. But um, yeah. anyway, you know. Agreed. Well, look, we're um, we're out of time. Is there anything you would you would say to um, either to uh, businesses out there that they should be doing with the experience and the speed that you've been working, uh, or anything else you would like to cover before we sign off? Yeah, if anyone is a business owner or a senior team member of a hospitality business, they should join my WhatsApp group as long as they don't ask me stupid fucking questions. If they want to join. Get them to- Coming, JD, that says that. <laughs> if you want to join my WhatsApp group, please email Julia at LondonUnion.com, Julia at LondonUnion.com, and she will send you the link to join. And, you know, you'll get some useful bits of information and you won't be bombarded with uh, uh, too many uh, messages. Um, I can vouch for that. It's been really useful, uh, JD. So thank you for doing it. You do cut through the shit. I love the fact that. There's one voice on there, so we don't get bombarded with nonsense. And, um, you know, I guess, yeah, if it's, if it's helping put some pressure on the right people, either in government or in the press, then that's exceptionally useful. So nice one. Yeah, but well, they definitely are. It definitely is. And they're definitely listening and they're definitely responding. And we're definitely seeing the results of that. And, it's and you know, it's making a massive difference to a lot of people, millions of jobs, you know, and millions right. of livelihoods. So it's, it's, it's really rewarding in that respect. And it's also been quite interesting to see how important and significant we are as a as a sector. Hospitality matters, you know. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think it's been good for the morale of hospitality, and from what I see, it's also been great for the morale of uh, the NHS and doctors and nurses who are feeling appreciated. And I think the, the press focus is about to flip from business impact to uh, NHS NHS impact, and, and anything we can do as a sector to support that is brilliant. Um, thanks for sparing the time, JD. I know these are, things are moving so fast. Maybe if we can touch base again in a in a week or so and see if we've got a little bit more detail on some of those key support measures, that would be appreciated. Yes, and I'm sorry if I've gone a bit. <laughs> That's all right. You did very well there, JD. There were too many, uh, too many swear words, but thank you for your time. All right, mate. Okay, thanks for listening. Uh, That's the end of the show. I hope you found that useful. Um, If you'd like me to cover any specific topics at the moment in these sort of uh, challenging times, uh, please do go to the website humansofhospitality.co.uk. There's a little contact form on there um, if you want to cover certain things or if you'd like me to speak to somebody specific or if you'd like to be on the show and share your experience. Uh, Any feedback, um, if, if this kind of idea of shorter, sharper, specific episodes is something you feel is great and should we continue to uh, also release the normal uh, sort of deeper dive Monday episodes I'd love your feedback um, do send it to me in some ways I think it would be good 
to get a bit of relief from the news at the moment. In other ways, I don't know, maybe we're all too distracted to uh, to listen. So, um, yeah, send me your feedback and uh, that'd be greatly appreciated. And, uh, yeah, see you on the next episode. Uh, I've got uh, Will Beckett from Hawksmoor, um, hopefully to get released very soon indeed. Cheers.